Hello, and welcome to A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall, a ministry of Calvary Chapel San Juan Capistrano. Open your Bible and join us as together we seek to grow in our daily walk with the Lord. This morning, we have come now to the epilogue of this epistle. And within the conclusion of this letter, Paul pens his closing thoughts. He shares about his goals for the ministry. He writes about his future travel plans that he hoped would lead him to the church in Rome. And he asks for personal prayer for specific requests. The book of Romans is deeply doctrinal. It is profoundly theological. But within the epilogue of this letter, it becomes far more personal. We get a closer look at the heart of the author. It's as if we get to see the teacher outside of the classroom. You may recall in previous verses leading up to this portion of the letter that Paul had exhorted the church to work together toward unity. And now he expresses his confidence within the church that they would carry out his instructions. In verse 15, he says, I myself, I'm confident concerning you, my brethren, that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. Paul had come to a settled conclusion that what he had written would be put into practice and applied. That the church in Rome would not simply be hearers of the word, but they would be doers of the word. And he lists the reasons for his confidence in this congregation. He first of all says that they were full of goodness. According to Galatians chapter 5, goodness is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's defined as moral and ethical purity. It includes kindness and thoughtfulness and even charity toward those who are in need. The word full means filled to overflowing. They were overflowing with this goodness. And this is a high commendation from the apostle to a church that he had never visited before. He had never been there. But their reputation preceded them, and from all that he had heard, he was confident. Not only were they overflowing with goodness, but they were also full of knowledge. It says you are filled with knowledge. And it's used in what is called the perfect tense, meaning that they had become filled at some point in the past and had persisted in that state of fullness. The church had been filled with the knowledge of God, and they were abiding in that knowledge that they had. The believers in this fellowship were doctrinally sound. They knew God, and they knew God's word. They knew the doctrines of the Christian faith, and they were filled with knowledge. In some places today within the church, there is a lack of sound biblical doctrine. Sometimes in places like this, the Bible is rarely ever opened. People don't bring their Bible. They don't use the Bible, and the Bible 
isn't necessarily taught in its entirety. And what happens when you have a lack of sound biblical doctrine is that strange practices and beliefs will follow. Recently, I came, it came to my attention of something that is floating around in the church at the present time in certain circles, and there are, have always been things that have been in the church. But this one I found interesting. I'd never heard of it, but it was called the fire tunnel. The fire tunnel. Prayerfully, you haven't gone through it. What is a fire tunnel, you ask? It has nothing to do with actual fire, thankfully. But just the same, what is being done is aberrant at best. That is, you'll have a line of people on either side, and you will walk through a tunnel of people. And when you're walking through, they pray things, do things, push on you, pray this on you, fire on you, this and that. And, and sometimes you would watch people, and they, would, they almost couldn't make it through the tunnel because it was just so... Have, it's just, it was strange. Don't go through the fire tunnel. It's not real. It's not, you can't even, you can't find it in scripture. There is no fire tunnel. It doesn't say that in the Bible. It doesn't say do that. So friends, listen, a way to remain biblically sound is to stay in the Bible because if it's not in the Bible, then you realize this probably isn't a good thing to be involved with. I, I don't care, uh, you know, what kind of emotion that was hyped up and what kind of environment there was. Listen, make sure that you're like a Berean, that you study the word of God, that you make sure that these things are so. Don't just take my word for it. Take God's word for it because his word endures forever. This church was filled with knowledge and not just for the sake of having knowledge because you can have a lot of knowledge up in your head, but if it doesn't translate into your heart and into your life, it does you no good. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. They were filled with knowledge. Paul was also confident that because this church was filled with goodness and filled with God's knowledge of his word, that they were then able and empowered to admonish one another. They could hold one another accountable in the biblical areas in which Paul had directed them. They could counsel one another from the word of God. There are times when admonishment is necessary in the body of Christ. You say, in what case? In what example? For one example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul wrote this. He said, now we exhort you, brethren, admonish those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. Those who are unruly... Paul said they need to be admonished. They need to be corrected. You need to hold them accountable. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul said, and if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person, don't keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet, he says in verse 15, do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. There are times when admonishment is needed. For example, if someone is walking away from the Lord, if you have a brother or sister in Christ who is beginning to go back to the old, listen, we have a responsibility to look out for one another, to admonish one another. 
Not that we're better than the other person or we think that somehow we have, we've arrived, but we're looking out for one another. If you see somebody going a direction they ought not to go, if you see them engaged in practices that aren't biblical or going down the road that is sinful, admonish one another because you care about them, because you love them. That's why you do it. And if you are filled with overflowing with God's goodness and you are filled with the knowledge of God's word, you're, you're going to admonish someone in a way that is pleasing to God. You're going to do it in, in the right spirit with the right heart. If you're not full of goodness and you're not full of the knowledge of God's word, you just go around admonishing people, rebuking people as if that was your ministry. I'm just a rebuker. What do you, what's your spiritual gift? Rebuking people? <laughs> Anyways, it's important to be filled with his goodness and filled with the knowledge of his word so that we can admonish one another. Paul was clearly confident in the ability of the Roman believers to apply what he had written to them, and yet he still felt that it was his responsibility to remind them. If you look at verse 15, nevertheless, brethren, I've written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you. A good teacher understands the importance of repetition and reminding their students of what they already know because they can easily forget. So often when you go back to school, the first part of it is review. And why is that? Because we always forgot what it was we heard the first semester. If we learned it, I was speaking personally. I mean, so we had to go back, we had to review what we had already heard. Paul felt that one of his responsibilities was to remind the readers of what they knew. And he didn't just feel this way about the church. In fact, if you read 2 Timothy, Paul's very last epistle that he wrote prior to his martyrdom, his pastoral epistle, he writes to Timothy in chapter one and he says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Apparently, Timothy was allowing some of his gifts to go dormant. And Paul says, Timothy, I need to remind you, and I am reminding you, stir up that gift that God's given you. I think of what Peter said to the church when he wrote in his second epistle in the first chapter. He said, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth, Yes, I think it's right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you. The necessity of being reminded of what we know. I feel as though part of my job in this congregation and as a part of this fellowship is to remind you of what you already know, such as God is faithful. Remember that that nothing is impossible for the Lord. I need, I need to be reminded of that. That God has a plan for your life. Oh, it's good to know that. That God loves you. That Jesus is coming again. These are reminders that we need to hear over and over. The reason that Paul was so bold in this epistle to remind them was that he saw his ministry as an apostle as a sacred responsibility. And that is why 
He gives them reasons. Why am I reminding you in verse 16 that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles ministering the gospel of God? That's the first reason. Because I'm a minister, I'm a servant. This is my job to remind you. But the second reason, that the offering of the Gentiles would be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul describes his ministry here to the Gentiles as his offering to God. You know, the Bible does say to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is our reasonable service. In the Old Testament, the priest who served in the tabernacle and who served in the temple would prepare sacrifices in a prescribed manner and then they would offer them on the altar in order that they would be pleasing to the Lord. And in the same way, Paul looked at his ministry to the Gentiles as an offering that was presented to the Lord. And it was his desire that the offering he presented would be pleasing to God, that it would be sanctified, set apart by the Holy Spirit. His joy, his spiritual reward and crown, he would say in another portion of scripture, was that the church would be presented faultless before the Lord. And in a sense, he saw the Gentiles as his acceptable offering to the Lord that he faithfully carried out his priestly function in ministering the gospel of God to them. And therefore, if it seemed as though he was bold or he was straightforward or to the point in his letter, it was because he took it very seriously and he felt the weight of that responsibility. I found the words of the late G. Campbell Morgan on Paul's motive for ministry to be enlightening. This is what he said, quote, what a radiant light this sheds on all evangelistic and pastoral efforts. Every soul that is won by the preaching of the gospel is not only brought into a place of safety and a blessing, he's an offering to God, a gift which gives God satisfaction, the very offering that he is seeking. Every soul carefully, patiently instructed in the things of Christ and so made conformable to his likeness is a soul in whom the Father takes pleasure. And thus we labor, not only for the saving of men, but for the satisfying of the heart of God. And this is the most powerful motive, close quote. Paul was motivated to please the heart of God. Friend, are we motivated to please the heart of God? Is it our desire that the ministry in our family would be pleasing to the heart of God? Is it our desire that the ministry within our marriage would be pleasing to the heart of God? That the job that you do, the vocation that you have, although it is, is the way in which you earn your living, that you see it as a platform that could be pleasing to God, you present yourself in that way? Would to God that that would be our desire, to be, to be pleasing to the Lord. Paul not only desired to be pleasing to the Lord, but he also made it a practice to glorify the Lord. It says here in verse 17, Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things that pertain to God. 
For I won't dare speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and in deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and round about Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. When you read through the book of Acts, and I encourage you to do so, you will discover that the Lord did some amazing things through the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. And as Paul is writing to the Romans, he's saying, I want to just, just pause for a moment, and I want to brag about the Lord for a second. I want to share with you the praise reports of what God has done. Not himself. He wasn't, he said, I'm not going to talk about myself and, and what God hasn't done through me. What I'd like to do is share with you some praise reports of what God is doing. It's as if Paul is saying, if any part of my ministry doesn't come from God's work through me, I don't want to talk about it. I have nothing to say about it. It isn't even worth mentioning. I'm not going to talk about anything I did myself. I'm only going to talk about what Jesus has done through me. And with all that Paul had accomplished and all that he encountered, everything that he endured, Jesus was the one that he desired to glorify in the ministry. In Galatians 6, 14, Paul said it this way. He said, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I want to I make my boast in God and what he has done. And Paul highlights for us some of the snapshots of his ministry portfolio, and he mentions that Gentiles were coming to faith. God had commissioned Paul from the time of his conversion that he was to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Truly an unlikely candidate if you know his background as a Pharisee, as a Jew that despised Gentiles, those are the very people that Paul was sent to minister to. But churches were started in Gentile regions, in pagan areas of the world that had no context of who God, the Hebrew God of the Bible was. The gospel was being preached and people were being saved. But it wasn't because of Paul. It wasn't because that Paul was such a powerful messenger, a charismatic character. It was because of the message that he presented. In fact, in writing to the Corinthians, he puts it this way in chapter 2. He said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I didn't come to you with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. I, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness in fear, in much trembling. My speech and my preaching weren't with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith shouldn't be in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Paul said, when I came to you, I was weak. I stumbled over my words. I didn't exactly present it the best that, that I could. I wasn't, I wasn't filled with the philosophies of men, and yet, the reason why I didn't have eloquence and all of these other things that the Corinthians were so fond of and so impressed with is so that they wouldn't be impressed with the messenger, but they would be drawn to the power of the message. Not only did Paul preach the gospel among the Gentiles, but signs and wonders or miracles followed 
his ministry. As Paul was fulfilling the Great Commission, people were being healed. Lives were being changed. People were delivered from demonic spirits. In fact, when Paul was busy making tents and couldn't leave his daytime job, he got word that people were sick and he would take his sweatbands and he would say, go place this on the person who is sick and they would place the sweatband on the person and they would be instantly healed. Unique miracles that God was doing. And the purpose of the miracles was not so that Paul could show up in a town and do a little sideshow of miracles so people could be amazed at the miracles. The whole point of the miracles was simply a platform to preach the gospel. That, that was the point. It wasn't draw attention to the miracles. It, it was draw attention to the gospel. And so the Lord allowed signs and wonders to accompany Paul's ministry. And not only were there miraculous things taking place, but the ministry was expanding. He said, from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel. That, that would be the equivalent of saying, from modern-day Jerusalem all the way to Yugoslavia. I mean, 1,400 miles Paul had taken the message of the gospel. And what he is doing is he's boasting about what God had done through the ministry, through the work of the Holy Spirit. I want to just say to you for a moment, if I may, can I just take a moment and give praise to God for what he is doing? This week, I received a letter from a woman who had been incarcerated, and the charge for her crime was very serious, and I cannot go into the details of it. But suffice it to say that while she was in prison, it just so happened. Well, nothing just so happens. She turned on the Christian radio station. And every morning, there in prison, she listened to our radio broadcast, The Daily Walk. And she got saved. She came to faith in Christ through the radio ministry and kept listening every day and the charge that was placed upon her it appeared that she might not be released and yet she mentioned in the letter just two days ago I was released from prison and I've, I'm so thankful for your radio ministry and I will continue to listen to the podcast daily and she was just giving praise to God for what had happened to her that, is, that has nothing to do with me that has everything to do with Jesus. I mean, I have no way to get into a prison, and yet God's word is unchained, it's unshackled, and a woman that went inbound came out free. And I say, praise to God for that. God be glorified. Someone said, it's when a person ceases to think about what they can do and begins to think of what God can do with them that that's when things truly begin to happen. And because of all that had happened in Paul's life and everything that had been accomplished, it only encouraged him to go further, to work harder. That is why in verse 20, he shares of his goals when he says, I have made it my aim, my goal, to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. Paul declares, do you want to know what my passion in life is? Do you want to know what my goal 
and aspiration is in my life, this is it right here, to preach the gospel where Jesus has never been heard of. Do you know that there are places today still within the world that have never heard the message of the gospel? That there are places that are so remote they've never heard of Jesus. Paul said, those are the very places that I want to go to. And he quotes to underscore his primary motivation, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 15, when he says, I want to be sent to those whom he was not announced, and they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. This is my goal. It reminds me of David Livingston, who was a missionary so many years ago. And when he was questioned by the missionary society where it was that he wanted to go, he replied, anywhere so long as it is forward. He wasn't the kind of person that would go onto the fields that were already had people ministering. His mindset was to reach the untold millions in the world that were still untold. That was his business. That was his goal, his aspiration. D.L. Moody had a similar goal in life. In fact, as a shoe salesman who became one of the greatest evangelists of all time, He made it his aim every day to tell at least one person about Jesus. And one day, he had not yet shared with anyone, and it was getting late, and he was getting ready for bed. And he got up, out of bed, got dressed, went out, and found a man in the street and began to talk to him about his salvation. And the man replied, mind your own business. And Moody said, this is my business. And so too, it was the business of the Apostle Paul to take the message of the gospel everywhere, over 1,400 miles. But Paul then shares, in light of his future plans, that there were hindrances to the ministry. He shares, for this reason, I've been much hindered from coming to you. Although Paul had a strong desire to get to Rome, he hadn't been there yet, There were hindrances. There were obstacles that often stood in his way. For one thing, there was a group called the Judaizers that went everywhere that Paul went and sought to undermine all of his ministry, lied about him, slandered him, tried to divide the churches. Paul had struggles with his health. At times he would be laid up, not able to move. And there were many other challenges that he encountered. But also... Paul's opportunity to get to Rome was stopped or put on halt due to the sovereignty of God. Paul had a desire to get there, but God hadn't yet sovereignly opened the door for him to visit providentially. Paul was prevented from getting to Rome when he wanted to be there. Now, he didn't know why the Lord had shut the doors and opened others, and here's something, God didn't necessarily explain it to Paul, why he shut certain doors and opened other doors, and you know something I found as I walk with the Lord, he doesn't always tell me why he shuts certain doors and opens others, and opens others and shuts the ones I thought were open, he doesn't, he doesn't have to tell me that, Joseph didn't understand until much later on in his life why he was put in the pit and put in a prison. Thanks for joining us today for A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall. You'll find us online at adailywalk.org. That's a good place for resources to help you grow in your daily walk. 
If you'd like prayer or have questions or comments you'd like to share with us, our email is adailywalk at gmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 877-242-0828. That's 877-242-0828. To watch today's message again or any message you may have missed in the series, download our free app. Simply search CCSJC. Be sure to stay tuned with Pastor John on Instagram at John P. Randall and on Twitter at PJRandall7. Make sure to join us next time when we'll again open the Word together seeking to apply God's truth to your daily walk.